Apple presents Meet the Musician at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from New York One and WFUV, Eric Holland, and tonight's guest, the White Buffalo. All right, evening. Welcome. This is Meet the Musician, Jake Smith, the White Buffalo. It's great to see you again. Good to see you. The album came out in September, Shadows, Grays, and Evil Ways. And the characters, Joe and Jolene, are, are so well-defined uh, and, uh, and vibrant. I, I wonder, when did you know you had characters who were worthy of a, a song cycle or a full concept album? Uh, well, they they kind of just uh, show, showed themselves to me as, as kind of the writing process was happening. I had a lot of the songs, or some of the songs before, and I ended up switching some of the dialogue and some of the, some of the verses and some of the arrangements of songs in order to kind of create the narrative. Sometimes a screenwriter might have some whole mad biographical chart about characters, even though none of it really ends up in a screenplay. Similar for you, where you know a lot more about these two than you reveal, or was it more of a thing where you're, you're recording on the fly and you come up with these, these fantastic details that seem to reveal so much? Yeah, I don't think I know any more about them than, than any other listener, probably. You know, I mean, they're all they're, they're fictional characters that I created, and I try to, uh, to make it be this, this seamless story and have them, um, you know, people interpret what, what's going on. I mean, it's obviously a story, but at the same time to have some kind of loose ends in, in order for people to put their own lives in it. Leave some room for interpretation. Sure. Similar to a, a guy like John Haidt, I think you have a great knack for the revealing detail. Just the, the, the little nugget that you throw out, maybe about Jolene dancing on the bar, or uh, that great line in the first song on the album about son of a catastrophe that, that just seems to, to fill so much backstory in. Do you have notebooks of, of lines, and you say, ah, that's the one? Uh, Give us some insight into into those kinds of things, please. You know, I, I don't really. I kind of just, I mean, the beginning of my songwriting process is always, with this was a little bit different, but uh, for the majority of the time, I'm, I'm just it's just gibberish. And then I'll say something cool or I'll think of something that's interesting and I'll build a song around that one little piece. So often, just as that song, The Son of a Catastrophe, was the first line that just kind of spilled out of me and it wasn't a, a conscious thing at all. Um, and then I would build the whole song around kind of that idea. Ambitious album. You cover so much on Shadows, Grays, and Evil Ways. Um, we could find economic inequality and uh, military-industrial complex and post-traumatic stress disorder and alcoholism and, and more. Uh, when you engage in these kinds of issues, you're really joining a, a great long line of artists, people uh, like Steve Earle and Billy Bragg and Springsteen and Fogarty and, and so many great others. Were there certain artists who opened a door for you and you thought, 
I can really tackle serious stuff in my music. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, music and songwriting, I think, the more honest it is and, and the, the realer it is, um, the more emotional effect you're going to have on the people listening. And for me, it's all I've always, even if it's completely fantastic idea or murder stories or, or you know, some, some crazy twisted story, it, it's, there's some amount of, of uh, reality into it, you know, as far as whatever, whoever the character is concerned. Well, I, I won't press you on, on any particular guys that, that you will like. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I mean, uh, the people that I've looked up to and that I are, you know, the songwriter greats, guys like Towns Van Zandt, Leonard Cohen, um, you know, Dylan, um, even like Tom T. Hall or, you know, there's a, there's a handful of, of songwriting heroes that I have, but I think the common thread is kind of this uh, emotional response they get out of speech pretty simple words and it's just a way some people seem to know how to use the simplicity of words uh, in order to really expand on uh, deeper emotions and deeper thoughts and that could even be found in punk music you were big into punk as a young man right yeah well I grew up on country music um, my parents were were completely country we that was like our, our outings. We would go camping and we would go uh, to country music concerts, and so I seen everybody from like George Jones and uh, Tammy Wynette, but then all the way up to uh, Randy Travis and like Alan Jackson and shit like that. But, <laughs> Great. <laughs> it was almost like right when, when when country music started getting a little not weirder but a little more pop. You know, not not what it is today, but it was still country music then. You know. When you're writing and, and evaluating your work, how large do the ghosts of people like Towns Van Zandt loom? Do you, do you say, I can't write that, it's too similar to that thing? Are you, are you critical about your work in that way? I mean, I just try to make it, if it's, uh, I just try to make it up to my own standards, kind of. I never um, put my stuff up against, you know, great songwriters. Um, I just wanted to be my own vehicle and, and uh, you know, say what I'm going to say, kind of. Well, that's nice that you're not, <laughs> that you're not bogged down in that. <laughs> I'd probably be you're pretty free. bummed. I'd be pretty bummed most of the time. <laughs> Please talk about the, the stuff you have written down lyrically to what ends up on the album. The, the, the transition and, and the process? Well, th this process was a little different because it was a narrative and each song had to be linear and it had to, had to uh, each song had to bleed into the next and the story had to continue and I, and I wanted to be this seamless story. So it, it was a matter of figuring out the arrangements so I would know I would have, you know, three verses, a chorus and a, and a bridge to get this you know, the character from here to there. And, um, I mean, it was up until, you know, when I would do the vocal and I would figure out when, um, you know, after we got the arrangement down and then I would know exactly how much, how many words I had to, to get people from, you know, to keep the story moving and to keep the, uh, you know, the, the characters and, and everything 
going. And, and the only way um, to do that was to really have the songs arranged first to know how to get from point A to point B. You didn't do a lot of demoing up then. It was a, mostly in the studio. You, you had some, some song sketches, and then you were really marrying the, the words to the music in the studio. Uh, for the most part, a lot of the, a lot of the songs I had, I had a handful of songs, probably eight or nine of the songs done, or f fairly done, kind of the bones of them. I had maybe a verse and a chorus before I really even had the idea that I was going to do this grander concept. And it was a matter of piecing them together and the sequencing of those. Where I'd, I'd always wanted to make an album. I mean, for me, every every song counts, every word counts, and the idea of making this larger picture. Uh, you know, I look at movies as songs, just kind of little mini movies, and then to have this one be almost like a little short film. Um, well, it, it is so literary. It's, it's uh, uh, cinematic, as you say. It, it also could be theatrical. Uh, could you see yourself adapting this work in, into one of those other vehicles or, or somebody else? I, I mean, if somebody wanted to try that, they could. I don't think I'm the man. God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about your collaborators? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the producers who you worked with. Yeah, I worked with, uh, essentially, I worked with two guys uh, in the studio, and it's uh, this guy Bruce Whitkin and Ryan Dorn. Um, and they're kind of a team. They're different kind of Bruce is kind of the idea guy. He helps a lot with the arrangements and some of the instrumentation. And uh, Ryan is more of a take guy. He's more of the, the guy producing the vocals or have, you know, making sure that you have the, the right take. Very appropriate little touches, things, uh, the, the cello and violin, sure, but also there's a, a baritone guitar in there. Uh, is it, can the producers be credited there? Uh, some give and take with, with you and them? Yeah, no, absolutely. They were very, very vital in, in a lot of the instrumentation that happened there. And it wasn't kind of until later that we realized that um, after talking to Bruce, uh, the idea that it was actually a female uh, violin player, but the idea that it's kind of a delicate um, instrument and as she's kind of the uh, the Jolene character is, is more represented by the violin and then the bar baritone is kind of a masculine guitar or masculine uh, instrument. You've got those motifs. And, yeah, and they, they reflect the characters as well, you know. Jim Keltner turns up on this record. He did. He made, he made an appearance. <laughs> now, is that the only song that there's drums, or the, the one that, that Jim played on? No, no, no. I have my own drummer that, that I've played with for years and years. This guy, Matt Lenat. Who's, who's an animal, and, and uh, yeah, they, they really wanted to get Jim in there, and he was in bad health for a little while, but then he, he came through and ended up doing it. It was actually the last, I think we went to master two days after he came in, so we were kind of postponing, postponing, he finally came in, but yeah, he's, he's, got, his, he's got his own groove, for sure. And, and this was your first brush with Jim? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. Excellent. Yeah. Shadows, Grays, and Evil Ways came out in September. This is your, your third album. Yeah, third full length, and then there's a few EPs mixed in there. This is a, a Meet the Musician uh, podcast here at the, the Apple Soho store, so let's find out a little bit more about you. Born in, in Oregon, grew up Southern California. Yeah, I was born in Eugene, Oregon, and then moved to Southern California. It was about half 
So basically, I'm you know raised in in California. And I know from another chat we had that you were a pretty mean uh, relief pitcher. <laughs> I did. I had a, I do have a base, a sporting past. <laughs> but yeah, I played baseball in college and and uh, got a scholarship and whatnot. You got a scholarship. Yeah. You were throwing smoke, right? You had to be intimidating up there. I could throw pretty hard. Yeah, that was my two pitch, two pitch guy. Yeah. What What was the other one? Curveball, curveball, fastball. Uh -huh. Yeah. What school? St. Mary's College. St. Mary's. Yeah. And was there anything, some kind of an event, that steered you away from, from sports and and onto music? You started playing guitar very late, age 19, right? Yeah, I mean, when, when I was younger, that's why I wanted to be a baseball player. That was my whole thing. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, I was dedicated, but maybe not as dedicated as some of the other people. And once music started spilling into my life, um, I kind of took that path. Not, not. I mean, the baseball road is a tough road as well, you know. Um, but no, there wasn't really, you know, any singular thing that just made me decide, hey, I'm going to go with music or go with that. I mean... You know, after I graduated from college, I lived in San Francisco just messing around for years before I even, where I play out maybe once a year, twice a year, some little coffee shop or some dive bar or something. Mm -hmm. um, but at that time, I was still, I was writing all the time, but I wasn't, I wasn't very focused at all. Similar to, to how Joe on the album really his whole life is is his love for for Jolene. It's really like a uh, a, a redemption or a chance at it. Uh, you really had a, a strong uh, a, a strong influence on you um, from from the woman who became your wife. Yeah, I mean, I, up until I met my my wife, I was. Uh, you know, things were pretty loose. I didn't. I wasn't very professional in the way I carried myself and she really focused me and, and cleaned me up enough really to make um, to make a real real chance at it uh, and you have a family now you have children yeah we got a stepson who is 17 and a six-year-old boy out there in Southern California yeah sunny Southern California all right well congratulations again on the album it's great to have a chat with you thank you um, perhaps we should go to the audience and see what kind of questions we have. Uh, yeah, I heard about your uh, punk uh, background in your teenage years. Was there kind of one performer that led you uh, transition from the punk uh, background to country, uh, more rock writing? You mean from, from country to punk or? Yeah, oh my gosh, I mean, yeah. Well, I, kinda, I went kind of full circle almost though, because I started out listening to country music exclusively and as a teenager in Southern California, that wasn't the coolest thing to, to be listening to. So in, in, uh, when I got to high school, I just got introduced to bands like you know, Fugazi and a lot, of the, a lot of the Southern California punk bands like the Circle Jerks and Bad Religion. Um, you know, li lyrically, I think some of those guys are, are equally as good as songwriters as, as, as some of the greats. I put a lot of them there, you know. Um, so I don't know if I answered you, but... Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Mostly not. <laughs> there wasn't a singular thing, but... but uh, Yeah, I mean, I dived kind of... It, it, it was kind of the antithesis of what I was listening to before was then I, I, I... It took me a while to realize... You know, I even got, like, 
deeper into like hardcore to the point where I, I wouldn't listen to anything that was on the radio. And, and I think once I got a guitar, I kind of, and started writing songs, I realized that some stuff's on the radio because it's good or, or and, and not to be this anti-everything kind of punk, you know, morality. Hey, uh, how's it going? Um, good. What was the, uh, was there a catalyst or a motivation to tell the story that you told in your last album, like addressing like a soldier's story? I've always been fascinated by the idea of these young men, most of them not knowing exactly what the real agenda is of why they're fighting and and the idea that they're kind of vehicles for these other people with their agendas and 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 they go off for a lot of the time not necessarily the right reasons um a lot of the time is circumstance and you know a lot, a lot the idea that they're supposed to come back unaffected um is is i think it's a story it's a contemporary story and that nobody's really really written anything about and not that it's a pr protest album it's more of an observation um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've always been excited, not excited about it, but, but, um, inspired by the, the idea of the soldier. I mean, it's, you're, you're, it, it's one of the f only things that you're taught to, to, uh, displace your whole moral code. And then once that time of war is over, then you're supposed to come back and just be normal. And I think it, I don't think it happens very often. Of all the songs you perform live, which are your favorite, and which, if there are any, do you not perform? Songs that I don't perform? Um, I mean, it's, it, there's a long list of songs now, you know, but uh, some people always want to hear The Matador, which is kind of this dark murder song that's kind of droning, but it's always a set killer, so we don't do it. But uh, there's, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, 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 they're all, they're all vehicles for kind of different emotions. You know, some are sad, heartbreaking songs, some are love songs that make you feel good. And, you know, I, I think if, uh, there, there's not really any songs that we discontinue, you know. There are Hogtied Like a Rodeo, you know that song? We, yeah, we never play that anymore. That one, I don't know why I got bored with that one, but. Most of them, but it's always the ones that people call out, though, it seems then. Like, you haven't played it for five years, and then they, you know, there's some guy in the front row screaming that song the whole set, but I guess that's just the nature of things. How did you get connected to Sons of Anarchy? Um, it was, at the time, I think it was season three when I got my first song on it. It was actually, at that moment, I was a completely independent artist, had no management, had nothing. And I had a lawyer, and my lawyer cold called the music supervisor and invited him to lunch and, and basically pitched my music to him, seeing the connections with kind of the conflict and the, uh, you know, the experiments of kind of good and evil. And um, I, he went home and I guess he listened to some of the tracks and then, you know, and then I've had a bunch of songs on it now. All right, well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it going for the White Buffalo.